Blog Talk Radio. From Life in the Balance, the nonprofit organization committed to advocating on behalf of behaviorally challenging kids and their caregivers, this is Dr. Ross Green. Welcome to Collaborative Problem Solving at Home. I'm delighted that you were able to join in. This program airs live each Tuesday at 12 noon Eastern Time during the school year. We explore a variety of topics aimed at helping you better understand and help your challenging child and implement the collaborative problem-solving approach at home. If you have a question or comment, call 347-994-2981. If you call in, you'll be muted until I bring you on the air. And now, let's talk about your challenging child and what we can do to help you Make things better. Hello. Welcome to today's program. I'm glad you were able to join in. Uh, We do this every week at Lives in the Balance uh, to try to help parents and other caregivers of behaviorally challenging kids uh, get the right lenses on and apply strategies that, while very difficult, do tend to make things better. The hardest part is it's hard. Of course, having a behaviorally challenging kid is hard. Uh, Our hope is that collaborative problem solving will, over time, make things less hard. Usually works out that way. But we also know that parents, grandparents, need help with some parts of the model. And that's why I do this program for parents nine months out of the year, to give you a chance to ask questions, um, either through email or live on the phone, um, and to learn as much about collaborative problem solving as you can, especially the hard parts. As I've been saying a lot lately, collaborative problem solving is fundamentally easy fundamentally simple and really hard. Uh, This program is to help you with the hard parts. And so I'm delighted that you're listening in today. Um, The phone-in number, if you are inclined, is 347-994-2981. Got a bunch of email stacked up here from people who've been writing in questions that I haven't had a chance to answer yet. So uh, if we do get a caller, the callers always take top priority but on this program, but if we don't, I'm going to turn straight to the um, emails that have piled up here from parents and others really wanting to make sure that they can uh, get their questions answered and get this show on the road. Here's one. Dr. Green, on your ALSIP, uh, this emailer is referring to the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems. You can find it in the paperwork section of the Lives in the Balance website. On your ALSIP, you list a number of skill deficits which apply to any number of challenging kids, including my foster daughter. I have learned a lot from your online talks on CPS, but while I see lots of instruction and examples on how to identify and solve unsolved problems, I have not been able to find any advice on how to teach those lagging skills. Plan B is great 
for proactively avoiding problems. I'm going to stop reading the email for a second. I would say proactively solving problems if you're using Plan C. Excuse, excuse me, if you're using Plan B. If you're using Plan C, you are proactively tabling and therefore probably avoiding problems. But Plan B isn't avoiding. Plan B is solving. Now back to the email. But in the real world, outside the home with many different kinds of people and approaches, the majority of the rest of the population is not going to be concerned with solving her problems with her. They're quite busy enough with their own. What she needs more than anything is to master the skills to be adaptive, flexible, resilient. But how exactly does one do that? Great question. And, um, well, I'm not positive. I'll get to the, big, the bigger question in a second. I'm just not positive that in the real world people don't solve problems collaboratively with each other. I think that there's a fair amount of that going on, and in fact, an increasing amount of that going on. So I don't know that if all we were doing with her was plan B, that she would fare so poorly in the world, real world, believe it or not. Some people think of the world as being very plan A, um, that in the real world, what we mostly get is people imposing their will on us and solving problems unilaterally. But I am not so sure that that uh, is as true as people believe it is. Yes, the real world has expectations, but having an expectation is not the same thing as using plan A. Having an expectation is having an expectation. A job would have expectations associated with it. Uh, relationships have expectations. School has expectations. None of those have anything to do with plan A. Plan A is when adults come up with unilateral solutions in times when those ex when a child is having difficulty meeting those expectations. That's plan A. If a kid is having trouble with his homework, plan A is saying, here's how it's going to happen. Here's how we're solving that problem. The homework is still in place as an expectation. It's how we're solving the problem if the kid is having difficulty meeting the expectation that decides whether we're doing plan A, which is unilateral, or plan B, which is collaborative. I think there's quite a bit of collaborative problem solving going on out there. I also think that there's a lot of expectations being placed on people out there, but once again, that's not plan A. That's expectations. Hope that difference is clear. But now back to the email. Um, yeah, she needs to master the skills to be adaptive, flexible, and resilient. Generally speaking, those skills are taught through merely doing collaborative problem-solving. And it can be a slow process. But, you know, if a kid is having difficulty reading, and we know that someday they're going to have to read some pretty intense stuff, we don't throw the intense stuff at them now, because we know they can't handle it now. So... I like having an eye toward what a child is going to have to deal with in the real world. I also know that helping them deal with the real world is going to be incremental. That help 
the process of preparing them for the real world is an incremental process. And how best to help kids be adaptive, flexible, and resilient, teach them how to solve problems collaboratively. The, the mere process of solving problems collaboratively teaches these kids a lot of the skills that they're lacking. So I've often said collaborative problem solving is actually not primarily a direct skills training program. Do I have any objection to people teaching skills directly? No, but I will say this. If you took a look at the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems and you looked at the lagging skills and the lagging skill section, you'd be hard-pressed to find technologies for actually teaching most of those skills directly. In real life, those skills tend to be taught and learned indirectly. How do you teach them and how do kids learn them if they haven't picked up on them through the usual indirect ways? By solving problems with them collaboratively. Now, there's a few lagging skills in the lagging skill section that I probably would teach directly. Language processing skills I would teach at least partially directly. Some of the social skills I would teach at least partially directly. But the vast majority of the other skills in the lagging skill section are likely to be taught indirectly. Let me give you an example. I think I might have given this example yesterday on the uh, program for educators, but I'll I'll do it again. It's it's, it's a good example. It illustrates the point well. Let's say that uh, your foster daughter is having difficulty making transitions. And let's say that one of the transitions that she's having trouble making is moving from choice time at school to math at school. Let's say also, by the way, that she enjoys math. A lot of people think that kids who are having difficulty making transitions are having difficulty making transitions only from things that are pleasurable to things that are unpleasurable. But is that a word? Things that are pleasurable to things that are unpleasant or less pleasurable. I actually find that kids who have difficulty making transitions have difficulty often making transitions from something that's to something that's even that's pleasurable. The, the, the pleasure factor is not the key variable. The lagging skill, difficulty making transitions, is the key factor. Anyways, let's say that um, so difficulty making transitions is the lagging skill. Difficulty moving from choice time to math is the unsolved problem. An example of a time when that lagging skill got in the way. If we solve that problem with your foster daughter collaboratively, we find out what's so hard for her about making that transition in the empathy step. By the way, we could find out that she's actually not having trouble making a transition. We might find out that there's something else going on. That's the beauty of the empathy step. But for the sake of this discussion, let's assume that we get the information we need about why that's such a hard transition for her. Then, let's say we get our concern on the table and define the problem step so that she understands why this is a problem and the importance of having the problem get solved. Then, let's say, in the invitation... We engage her in the process of contemplating solutions to this unsolved problem, this problem making transitions from choice time to math. Let's say that we help her think through the likely outcomes of some of those solutions. Let's say we help her 
think about whether the solutions are realistic and mutually satisfactory. Mutually satisfactory meaning that she's taking not only her concerns into account, but also ours. And let's say we come up with a solution that solves the problem of making a transition from choice time to math. First of all, that solved problem means there won't be any challenging behavior over having difficulty making the transition from choice time to math anymore, so there's something to be said for that. But the icing on the cake is that we have, at least on one unsolved problem, helped her get better at making transitions. Is she a world-class transition maker yet? Uh-uh. I doubt it. Not not just because we've worked on it once. Did we work on making uh, transitions generically and directly? No, we worked on a specific transition. And by engaging her in the process, that's why this is collaborative problem-solving, not unilateral problem-solving. I do believe, and there are emerging data from some studies that are going on, that some of the skills she's lacking are simultaneously being taught, just not directly, indirectly. That's why you have astutely noticed that the focal point in collaborative problem solving is on identifying and solving unsolved problems rather than teaching skills directly. Collaborative problem solving is primarily a direct problem-solving approach, an indirect approach to teaching skills. I hope that answered your question. If it doesn't, well, the number is 347-994-2981. No callers yet today. Let's keep going. Here's one, a recent one. I have an ODD girl, I think that means oppositional defiant disorder, who goes mute when I try to problem-solve. I was wondering... uh, what to do. I'm on my last nerve. I've tried professional help four times and have not progressed. I, I, I think, so that's the whole email. I don't know why. Uh, and I think what you mean is that she w- w- is having difficulty, notice how I'm wording that, difficulty participating verbally in the process of solving problems collaboratively. Um, I I have no idea what's coming into play in the case of your specific daughter, but if it's your daughter, but um, I have some ideas about what it could be. Ready? The list is long. And notice, I didn't say selective mute because you didn't, but even if I had said selectively mute, all that would really tell me is what this girl does apparently when uh, demands are being placed upon her that outstrip the skills she has to respond adaptively to those demands. Otherwise, she'd be talking to you while you're doing Plan B. So that, see, that's crucial. Kids don't go mute when they can handle the demands that are being placed upon them. They go mute when they can't. By the way, that not only do they go mute, some of this girl goes mute. Some hit, some kick, some spit, some swear, some scream, some whine, some pout, some sulk, 
some withdraw. This girl goes mute, but I'm still going to operate on the assumption, actually knowing nothing more about her but or about your situation. I'm going to assume that she's going mute because there's something about plan B. Now, you didn't say plan B. You said when I try to problem solve, but I'm assuming that's what you're talking about. I'm assuming that there's something about plan B that's hard for her, and that's why she's going mute. Otherwise, she wouldn't go mute. So what could be what could be going wrong for her in Plan B? All right, here's the sh- here's the short list, believe it or not. And of course, feel free to call in if none of these hit the nail on the head. Number one, you might not be doing Plan B. You might be doing Plan A. Many people think they're doing Plan B, but they're really doing Plan A. Um, plan A is a conversation stopper. Maybe uh, you're not doing proactive plan B, you're doing emergency plan B. Another conversation stopper. Emergency plan B adds two ingredients to the mix, neither of them conducive to kids talking. Number one, heat. Emergency plan B adds heat. Heat, you know, the heat of the moment. Heat is not conducive to kids talking. Emergency plan B adds rush. We're doing it in the heat of the moment. We're in a hurry. We're probably on our way somewhere. These are not. This is not the ideal time to be talking about it. Heat and rush are conversation stoppers as well. Wonder if that's why she's going mute. Maybe this is very common as well. You know, it's important for that unsolved problem you're trying to talk to her about to be very specific. Um, lots of kids don't talk when we start plan B off with the empathy step because the unsolved problem we are inquiring about was so vague that the kid had no idea what we were asking for information about. Uh, Maybe the neutral observation part of the empathy step wasn't so neutral. Maybe your demeanor suggested that this wasn't plan B, this was plan A. Now, once again, I have no idea. Even if the words were plan B, the demeanor was plan A. I have no idea what's coming into play here, but here's what's interesting. Those two, those factors that I've just named so far actually don't have much to do with the girl you're describing. They have to do with how we adults are doing plan B. other possibilities. Um, Maybe she's not talking because she's not sure what to say. Maybe she's not talking because she knows what she wants to say, but she can't find the words. Maybe she doesn't trust this process yet. Maybe she has a long history with Plan A, and she's still betting on the Plan A horse. I always forget to turn my phone off during this program. One of these days I'm going to remember to turn my phone off, and I'll announce that to you all. But in the meantime, we do have a trend. Other reasons a kid might not... Well, you get the idea here. There's many more reasons that a kid might not be talking. But here's the lenses that we're bringing to it. That's probably the most important part. The lenses we are bringing to... The situation are the lenses of lagging skills. 
we're going to assume that if she could participate in Plan B, she would participate in Plan B because kids do well if they can. If she's not participating in Plan B, then there must be something about Plan B that exceeds her skills to participate in Plan B, and now we got some figuring out to do. Or we're doing Plan B in a way that isn't really Plan B at all, or isn't the ideal timing, or there's something about the way we're doing it that is um, making it harder for her to talk. But I would need much more information about this young lady before I could give you a whole lot more insight on what might be getting in the way. Here's another. Still no calls. Oh, call. And callers take priority. So we're going to bring our caller from area code 480 onto the program. Uh, how are you today? Are you there? Hello, Dr. Green. Hey. Hi, Dr. Green. I have a uh, five-year-old who um, I'm looking for some, we're looking for some general advice on schooling and how to choose the appropriate environment. We started to work through your material and understand and and uh, kind of planning the next steps for him. He was, uh, he's, he's five, he's not yet in kindergarten. He was in a daycare environment that... Uh, um, we were having some challenges with, mainly with frustration and getting upset with some of his classmates and not making friends, that kind of thing. So we've had him in a couple of different uh, programs. So he's been uh, evaluated for excuse me, ADHD, and he was diagnosed with that. He uh, was he or also, was not? I'm sorry? Did you, did you say he was or was not? He was diagnosed with ADHD and... Um, moderate in degree as well as oppositional defiant disorder. Um, He's also had play therapy with two different different therapists and uh, he currently sees a psychiatrist. Now, as we try to find... For medicine or for therapy? um, The psychiatrist? Yeah. Um, The psychiatrist was for therapy um, but um well his pediatrician originally originally after the diagnosis of ADHD his pediatrician um put him on um on an ADHD medicine um okay. that didn't that did not work very well he did not react very well to it actually got a little bit aggressive from it um she thought maybe another uh, there might be more needed and, and she wasn't comfortable mixing medication. So that's where the psychiatrist recommendation came from. And what's the psychiatrist been doing? The psychiatrist has uh, over several, first of all, um, changed his Adderall prescription and said he thought that was a little aggressive for a child that young. Um, Put him on 10X instead. Okay. And really just to try to help with the irritability, that type of thing. Um, most recently after, you know, telling him, his most recent appointment, telling him that, um, you know, we had we had pulled him out of daycare because he continued to have problems. We really didn't feel like it was the best environment for him because they really, you know, are kind of really treating it 
the opposite of your methodology, and he doesn't respond well to it. So he ended up in the office, you know, um, with them physically having to restrain him or what have you on a couple of occasions, and we just thought, you know, this this is not the right place. They're not tooled to be able to help him um, when he gets upset and redirect him. It was just very time-out based, that type of thing that he didn't react well to. So we told his psychiatrist that that was the case. I think he was concerned that he, was, he had been pulled out of that um, school and that he did not have, he was not getting social interaction at the time. And here he's kind of on the cusp of, you know, going into kindergarten next year. Um, and you know, I hate to interrupt you, but I, I'm, I'm, you got me feeling bad already. Your, your son is five years old and he's already experienced some of the worst that happens to kids who are behaviorally challenging. Um, mm-hmm. It's sad, but keep going. Yeah, it, it's uh, it, just in trying to then find out, you know, and him in explaining to him that, you know, we're looking for a better environment. We were looking at some Montessori schools based on the um, his play therapist recommendations. Let's find some other. Let's start looking at some different schools for um, kindergarten that that's going to work well for him, public or otherwise. Let's just start looking at that and look, you know, what the options are. We told the psychiatrist that that's what we were doing. We, you know, have some appointments, um, had visited a few schools, and he said he was very concerned about him being pulled out of that school um, and wanted to, uh, or actually prescribed him or wanted him to start taking Abilify. You know, we looked at that, or at least I did after the fact, and and decided that I, I wasn't ready to have him on Abilify. Um, the, we had a long way to go with other methodologies before we did that. His play therapist kind of concurs with that. So that's kind of probably not not the uh, most succinct way of telling you where we're at at this point, but um, that is where we are, and we're kind of at the point of determining, you know, what type of, how, how do we find the best school environment for him as we, you know, try um, the approaches, you know, that the, the you recommend and some of the challenge in that I think is understanding how we're going to get others or even know in the schools if that's going to be an environment that supports your type of methodology well um, that's quite some tale I must say Your, your son has medicinally moved in just in a brief time from stimulants to an antihypertensive, to the proposal of a mood-stabilizing medication, an atypical antipsychotic, um, and he's five. Mm-hmm. What I'm, what I don't know, I, I'm hearing that you are, uh, that you like the that, that, that collaborative problem solving is resonating with you. I'm hearing that your child is in play therapy. What I'm not quite getting is, all right, we got play therapy. Do we still have uh, 10X on board? Yes. And I'm not in a position to comment on medicine. I'm just sort of a little bit, um, I'm taking notice of the fact that uh, things are moving rather quickly uh, toward more um, heavy-duty, we might say, medications. Mm-hmm. Um, what, I, what I'm not getting is why are, are, are things going worse 
with what you have in place treatment-wise? I know you're calling to ask about schools, and my advice on schools is actually probably going to be fairly basic. If you're, sounds like you are entertaining all potential options, including private. Is that accurate? Yeah, that, that's very true. Yeah. As, so as well as as well as ones that are more tailored toward. Um, uh, other conditions such as Asperger's, that type of thing, because there's a question mark there. Okay. So, um, really, the advice is going to be simple along those lines. Any school that you're considering, you got to go visit mm-hmm. and take a look for yourself. Um, you know, if you were somebody who was saying, I have no choice but to go to my local public school, then you could go visit, but you're going there. So really what you would need there is a meeting to to let people know what's coming and to try to educate them as much as possible about who your son is and what he responds to. But because you have options, it sounds to me like what you'd want to be doing right now is going to visit any school that you're considering sending him to, talking with the folks there to get a feel for how they would handle some of the things that are difficult for your son and some of the times that he has difficulties, how how would they handle it? You'd Mm -hmm. want to get a sense of the staff. You'd want to get a sense of the other kids who are there. You're mentioning Asperger's disorder. I don't know whether your son meets criteria for Asperger's disorder or not, but whether he does or not, if you were thinking of sending him to a place that's specialized in that population, you'd want to visit and make sure that the kids were kids who you felt were a good match for your son and and that the staff would be able to handle the difficulties your son presents. So I'm not sure that any of that helps greatly. If you're thinking of different schools, you want to visit and really get to know your options well, and you're, you're the consumer, so you want to interview the staff and find out what their philosophies are and how they go about handling difficulties that are similar to your son's. If it's your local public school, um, you still want to visit, but mostly for the purpose of letting them know who's coming and getting a feel for how they would handle things and hopefully beginning the process of collaborating with them to um, make it go as well as possible for your son. But there's a lot of uh, details, especially about how he's doing in general, sort of what the general picture is um, that I would probably need to answer and something that I probably can't do on a radio program anyways, to to answer your question. You know, if I was to rephrase your question, I would rephrase it this way. Who is my son? What's getting in his way? What are his lagging skills? And what would be the best environment given who he is if I have choices, given who he is, what's the best environment for him to be going to school at, and what's the best population of kids, and what's the mentality, and it sounds like you're pretty sold on collaborative problem solving, what's the mentality I would like to have being applied to my son, especially given who he is. But the who he is part comes first. Um, I And on the radio, on this program, who he is, I can give people a generic sense and a sort of very general sense, but often can't take people all the way there. Um, So 
I don't know how much how helpful was that response. Uh, I think that's very helpful, and I, and it's encouraging that you know some of the things we're thinking are in line with what you're what you're recommending. We've we've you know checked with a number of schools. We've gone through it. We've applied to several of them. One of them, you know, upon understanding, you know, they talked to his therapist. Um, don't know if they talked to his psychiatrist, but they did end up decide it was a Montessori school, and they decided that especially in the pre-K, um, they did not feel it was a good fit, they had the resources that he may need um, type thing. So we have uh, others that, that we are looking at as well, but I think you're right. I mean, what we're trying to do is understand it. And, and quite honestly, I think we, we're, we're suddenly feeling a little rushed about it because of the kindergarten year that he, you know, he was a, a late um, five. So he, he could have gone into kindergarten early, you know, um, but we held him back from that. So now we're coming up on the next year, and and we're feeling a little bit rushed in the sense of understanding what that and what the right environment is going to be. And then, you know, I, I quite honestly feel like we, a little pressure was put on um, with his psychiatrist put on us of, of saying, "Look, he needs to to get on something because if we don't if we don't get him." to where he can be successful in his school environment and can make friends and can start to to have more wins when it comes to the socialization, then we're going to be dealing with much larger problems further down the road than, than what we're dealing with now. And I would simply add to that, though, that getting your son squared away so that he can do well in school may have a lot of ingredients associated with it. One of them might be medication, but I'm always, and I, since I don't know your situation well, I can't give you explicit guidance, but mm-hmm. medication may not be what your son needs to get himself to the point where he can do well in school. Um, I know that that's a treatment option that's being offered up, and I can't comment on it because I don't know your son or your situation at all. But um, I'm thinking that it might be healthy to resist the temptation to go the medicinal route, especially if it's very heavy-duty medications that are being recommended, and especially if that's actually not what your son needs. So the, the real point is you've gotten one opinion on what your son needs, and it's um, an atypical antipsychotic medication. Um, it certainly behooves you to seek out other opinions on what he needs. But what he needs, once again, traces directly from who he is. He, he may well need medication. I, I really have no idea. But um, you, you'd, you'd want to be as comfortable with that option as you possibly could be and feel like you really have well answered who is he before going to any treatment option, quite frankly. Who is he? comes first. And of course, in the collaborative problem-solving territories, um, who is he is lagging skills and unsolved problems. And so um, that would be the first place that I would start if you haven't already. Yeah, and we have, and we're admittedly early in that process of, of learning exactly how to do that. And um, especially with regard many of the, the uh, call-ins and, and other information that I've, I've listened to and, and read through. 
um, is, uh, you know, a lot of times geared a little bit older than he is. So we're trying to figure out exactly how to do that and apply that program in a way that that, that works well for a five-year-old. I mean, he's he's very good his, um, from a communication standpoint. I mean, he's his original assessment was that he was, you know, above average, if not advanced in cognitive skills and his language. So people constantly comment on how he has, um, you know, advanced verbal skills, that type of thing. So, um, and he's big for his age. So a lot of these things kind of have us sometimes trying to treat him in a way um, that's maybe older than he should be expected to be able to, to, and, and that may apply with the communication as well as far as applying this program and understanding, you know, okay, when he wakes up and he's immediately throwing, um, you know, a fit about needing to go to grandma's house today, it's, um, okay, well, starting to work through the initial understanding of, well, um, I understand that, that you don't want to go, what's up with that? And trying to get into that and really, he'll just repeat himself or what have you, <laughs> almost like he kind of knows what we're trying to, to find out or what have you. So it's kind of working through that and understanding how to apply that process with a, with a five-year-old is where we're at. So I understand. I appreciate your advice on the uh, on the school and certainly on me getting a second second opinion that also falls well, falls well in line with what we were thinking. I, I, um, hope, uh, I hope it goes well, and I thank you for calling in. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. You bet. Um, so... Um, Boy, uh, what happens to behaviorally challenging kids and how hard it is to find good help? That's uh, my summary. And maybe they are getting good help. I don't know enough about the situation to say for sure, but um, there's so much out there and so many treatment options. But figuring out What's really getting in a kid's way is where you start because all other things flow from that. I can't uh, say what treatment a kid needs until I figure out what's getting in his way. And I'm sorry to report that that step is frequently missed, which is why... We often have what I might call the shotgun approach to intervention. We're sort of trying all kinds of different things. Not not that this dad's doing it. He's just looking for help. But um, what parents are often faced with out there is um, so many different opinions, so many different treatment options, so many different ideas. Boy, it can get confusing. What's the collaborative problem-solving contribution to making it less confusing? Lagging skills, unsolved problems. That sort of gets it down to its most basic elements. When I figure out what lagging skills are coming into play for a kid and what his unsolved problems are, then I know whether medication is a viable treatment option and what other potential viable treatment options might be worth considering as well. If I don't have that information, I can't talk about treatment options yet. Who is this kid? What's getting in his way? We have time for one more email. This is our first email from a uh, piano teacher. That's a cool one, though. 
Dr. Yen, I'm a piano teacher, but I'm also the mother of three now young adult children who are all variously challenging as children. I could talk diagnoses, but who needs them? I agree. What we needed were solutions. came across collaborative problem solving only after my oldest child was hospitalized for a psychiatric episode, but we quickly put your ideas to work as they were really just a codification of what we were trying to do with these kids to begin with. I have also adopted your strategies to use in my teaching situations, and for the most part, I rarely have big problems with kids anymore. We are on the same page. My kids are doing well. Thanks. However, I currently have a young student, age five, who I do have trouble with. This is a piano student, I'm assuming. She seems to have language processing difficulties or language delays of some sort. I have been coming up empty when I try to get her perspective on the chief problem we have, non-compliance with my various instructions. I'm going to go back to that in a minute. It seems clear to me that she ignores me or shifts away from the desired activity because she has trouble understanding my words, but there is no good way to check this out with her without more words. Simple sign language seems to help with yes and no and maybe, but there isn't a lot of nuance available. I can continue playing this by ear, and we will probably work something out over time, but I thought to check your info and see if you had dealt with this specific problem. Uh, I have 30 minutes a week with this little girl and would like to get somewhere more comfortable within the next couple of months. If I can understand her better, we can actually... Well, there you go. We can actually learn some music, but look what comes first, understanding. That was me talking there, not the emailer. Although I am happy teaching her how to communicate with me and learning to communicate with her and using the music as a vehicle. It's always nice to save a little time in these situations if other people have been on the same road as yours. Well, I, you know, um, here's the cool part. I, you're, you're the first piano teacher. So this specific situation... Um, I mean, I've had kids who I've worked with who had trouble. One of their unsolved problems was practicing the piano, but you're the first piano teacher to email, which I think is spectacular. Now, the part that jumps out at me here, I don't think the chief problem that you have is noncompliance with your various instructions. It's too vague. And if we tried to do Plan B with her on noncompliance with your various instructions, I fear that it could, well, I know that it could cause many kids to shut down. And here's the interesting thing. Noncompliance with various instructions could apply to many, many, many different situations, not just whatever this young five-year-old student is having difficulty doing in her piano lessons. Now, I'm just going to take the themes of collaborative problem solving and apply them here, because to tell you the truth, it, the fact that this is piano isn't any different than homework or teeth brushing or getting ready for school in the morning or getting ready to go to bed at night or table manners or chores. The expectation this young girl is having trouble meeting is something related to playing the piano. That's what you're actually instructing her about. So it's what you're instructing her on that she's having difficulty doing that is the unsolved problem. And so I'm wondering... If, and I love that you're being creative, you're using sign language, you clearly recognize the need to communicate with this girl so that you can find out as much about what's getting in her way and making it hard for her as possible. I wouldn't run with difficulty following your instructions. It's too vague. I'd run with one thing you've noticed that you're instructing her about that she's having difficulty doing. Of course, if 
I suspect if she wasn't having difficulty doing it, you wouldn't be instructing her on it. So those two are kind of um, redundant. My, my advice would be ask about a specific thing that she's having trouble doing as a former tortured piano player. My youth who, um, well, I kind of wish that people had asked me what I was having trouble with because then I would have been able to tell them, but it wasn't instructions that I was having trouble with. It was specific aspects of playing the piano. That's where I'd start. And I hope that that response was helpful. And I'm sorry to report that your weekly serving of collaborative problem solving is now done. Time to clean up the table and, well, we'll get ready for next week. Keep those emails coming. Keep those phone calls coming. Talk to you next week.